0: Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you're with us today. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Center Point Fellowship. And today we are beginning a new series. Almost, I'm so excited to almost drop the uh, bulletin here. Uh, the series entitled Coming Face to Face with Jesus. It's from John's Gospel. And John, one of Jesus' disciples, when he wrote his Gospel, an account of good news, the good news of uh, Jesus' ministry, the life and times of Jesus, uh, well, when, J- when John wrote that account, He wrote about a series of face-to-face encounters uh, between Jesus and people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds. So these people from all different walks of life, they encountered Jesus. And if you ever wondered, hey, what would it be like to meet Jesus face-to-face? Well, this series, that's what we're going to attempt to do. And we'll show you uh, through Scripture how Jesus interacted with a number of people from all different backgrounds. And there's a lot that you and I can learn. Today, we're going to begin with a man named Nicodemus from John chapter 3. So inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline with the clever sermon title, Nicodemus. Okay, I just work on those titles for hours. Uh, But anyway, uh, we're talking about him. He's the first one. And uh, you'll learn a lot from him today as we look at God's Word together. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your Word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, I thank you that your Word recounts... uh, interactions between Jesus and ordinary people like us. I pray that today, Lord, you would speak to us through the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And Lord, we would see ourselves and we'd know you better from our time together. Please speak, Lord, and move me out of the way. Say whatever you want us to know and help us to apply it to our lives. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks or take some notes, just raise your hand. Some ushers will pass a pen to you. So, let's jump right in. One night, point one on your outline, one night a man named Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus. Some people have rightly called this uh, chapter Nick at Night, uh, and I could have named the message that, but uh, I missed my opportunity. So, anyway, uh, one night a man named Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus, and here's how John records it. There was a man named Nicodemus who was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, we'll tell you in a little bit, and that's significant by the way, but he came to speak with Jesus and he said, Rabbi, or teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Wherever Jesus went, he drew a crowd. He didn't teach in traditional places. He would teach on the edge of a lake and climb in a fishing boat, or he would teach in someone's house, or out in a marketplace, or any on a hillside but wherever he went huge crowds began to gather because when jesus taught he taught like nobody else had ever taught he didn't teach the bible as a bunch of theory he taught the bible as if he knew god personally and he did and so people would come and they would flock not only that but he would heal people miraculously blind people would see and lame people would walk people would rise from the dead And so many people were beginning to follow Jesus, and Nicodemus took note. Now, this is significant, because let me give you a little background. It says that Nicodemus was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a Jew who was of the strictest sect of all the Jewish leaders. And by that, I meant this is somebody who was meticulous in following all the commands in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy about um, how they dressed and how they even washed their hands. He would never have eaten anything but kosher food. He would have followed the commandments of Moses to the letter of the Pharisees that said they would even tithe. Jesus brings this up in uh, one of the passages where he has given some strong warnings to the Pharisees about some things. They would tithe even down to their tea leaves. When they'd buy a bag of tea, they would weigh out the tea or they'd count out the tea leaves. And one out of every 10, they would put in a separate place and then sell that and give the money to the poor i mean they would they were religious this was a guy who knew the scriptures exceedingly well of the pharisees they would play a game it said they would in those days they didn't have the old testament in book form they had it in scroll form they'd roll up the scrolls and stack them in a pyramid and they'd stand across the room with a dart throw a dart into the pyramid and then they'd pull out the scroll that had the dart in it and open it up to the page where the dart was they'd read the first line off the page and you had to say the rest from memory And they could do it. They could do it. And so Nicodemus was that guy. He was also a religious leader, which meant he was part of what was called the Sanhedrin. This is the high council in Jerusalem over the whole nation of Israel. Seventy men who would assist the high priest. These were the religious, political, social leaders of the whole nation. So Nicodemus was not only very religious and very devout, he was well-connected. And so for him to come to Jesus at all was amazing. This, by the way, that group that he was a part of, the Sanhedrin, those were the people who eventually sentenced Jesus to death for blasphemy, for claiming to be the Son of God because they didn't believe him. Because he didn't teach the way they taught. He wasn't bound up in all those rules. He wasn't trying to impress people with his religiosity, and they were. He didn't care about connections, except one connection, being right with God. They cared a lot about being politically connected to everybody else and making sure they kept things even keeled. And so for him to come to Jesus would have been politically risky. And maybe that's why he came at night. But there was something that intrigued him, because in that those sentences I read you, he said, we all, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miracles prove that. So something was missing in his life, and he wanted to have a private conversation with Jesus. Now, it's important to note here, even though it was dark, Jesus could see inside of Nicodemus' heart. Let me read you two verses that appear in the Bible right before the couple of verses that I just read about Nicodemus coming at night. Jesus had been doing lots of miracles, and lots of people were following him. And because of this, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did, John 2, John says, Many began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them. And if you would underline that. People trusted Jesus, but didn't, Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell Jesus what mankind is really like. Hmm. I mean, Jesus came into the world to save sinners and he knows how desperately wicked the human heart is. Nicodemus didn't know who Jesus was and came to check him out, check out his theology and what he was about, came to have his conversation. Jesus knew exactly who Nicodemus was, though. And there's a life application in that for you and me. Jesus seeks authentic faith from a sincere heart, not religious show. And if you'd circle religious show. He's not after religious show. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees. This would have been all those people that were good friends of Nicodemus. Hypocrites. This is Jesus speaking to them on another occasion. For you're like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but you're filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, oh, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Strong words. And Jesus meant every one of them. These were people who were absolutely convinced because of their political connections, because of their religious practices, because of their memorization of scriptures and other things, that they were the ones going to heaven and they were the ones who could decide who else was going to heaven. And that did not set well with Jesus. He wasn't interested in their religious show. He wasn't interested in them setting themselves as the gatekeepers as to who could have a relationship with God. Because if they wrote you off, they could kick you out of the temple and you didn't have a chance to come to God, even if you wanted to repent. They gave up on you. And so Jesus reserved strong words for them. Nicodemus was part of that crew. And Jesus knew... All that when Nicodemus came to him. And that brings us to point two. So Nicodemus comes to him at night, wants to have this conversation. He says, Jesus, we know you're a great teacher because all the miracles you do. And before you can say anything else, Jesus says this. "Uh, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Because he was an old man. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. I'll explain that in a minute. Humans can produce, reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And here was a guy who is as religious as anybody you know. I mean, if you were getting if you went to Sunday school and got a gold star for every Sunday, he had the perfect attendance book. This was the guy. I mean, he had all the memory cards, he could quote all the scriptures, he had it all down, and when he comes to Jesus, he had all the right connections, all the right pedigrees, he had a PhD in religion, was one of the great teachers in all of Israel. Everybody thought so highly of him. And he comes to Jesus and says, I'll tell you what you need, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. What? What? What are you talking about? Nicodemus, you need a new heart. And point A, there's three things I want to say about being born again here that come out of this passage. Being born again involves repentance. Repentance. It means repentance. And that's kind of what... You know, I want to explain this because when um, Jesus was talking and saying, hey, you have to be born of water and the Spirit if you want to get in the kingdom of God. Well, we can see this elsewhere in Scripture where this is pretty clear what's going on. That means, first of all, it means repentance. Mark 1 says this, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist was... Or John the baptizer was a person who was a relative of Jesus. That's hard to say. Uh, He was a relative of Jesus, and he was out baptizing people. He was a prophet that the people greatly respected. He called people to repentance. And John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John's baptism was to call people to turn from sin and surrender their hearts to God. Because someone greater would come along. I'm going to baptize you with water for repentance, but someone's coming along later who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and he'll give you the power to change. But you need to be ready for him. The thing you can do is you can come to him and you can repent today. And if right next to where, you, where we wrote in the word repentance, if you draw a little U-turn symbol, just an arrow that goes the other way. That's what repentance means. It means to turn around, to take a U-turn. I'm going the wrong way. I'm going to stop going the wrong way. I'm going to go the right way. I'm going to stop living for myself. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to stop pretending that I've got it all worked worked out. I'm going to trust God and let him guide my life. In the margin also, if you just write Luke chapter 3, here are a few verses from Luke chapter 3. I'm reading from verse 7 following. This is, this is John the Baptist, so you know what kind of things he said. Here's a sample of John's preaching to the crowds that came to him for baptism. John would be out at the Jordan River. He was a wild-looking guy. He came out of the wilderness. And he would just be this firebrand evangelist standing on the river shore. And crowds would come to him and he would tell them about God. You brood of snakes, he warned the people. Who warned you to flee from God's coming judgment? Prove it by the way you live. That you really turn from your sins and turn to God. Don't just say we're safe because we're the descendants of Abraham. In other words, because we're Jewish. Every night... even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever, you, sever your roots. Yes, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd asked, what should we do? And John replied, well, if you have two coats, then give one to the poor. If you have food, then share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors were coming to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And John the Baptist said, show your honesty. Make sure you collect no more taxes than the Roman government requires of you. And what should we do as some of the Roman soldiers who were occupying Israel at the time? And John replied, well, don't extort money and don't accuse people of things you know they didn't do. Be content with your pay. Now, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know what John the Baptist, whether or not he might be the Messiah. And John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who's greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the grain with his winnowing fork. Then he'll clean up the threshing area, storing the grain in his barn, but burning the chaff with never ending fire. Have a nice day. Okay, no, he didn't say that. But that was the tone. And the Pharisees went out there to check out John the Baptist along with everybody else. And the Pharisees were angry at this. Why do we need to repent? We're not gonna repent. We have PhDs in theology. Where did you go to school, John? Why do we need to repent? We wash our hands right. We eat all the kosher foods. We do everything exactly right. We're not going to repent. How dare you tell us to repent? Now, this rabble that comes out here to hear you, yeah, they need to repent, but not us. And it says that John the Baptist was so angry with them, and so was Jesus, because these people thought they were better than everybody else. And that's why Jesus is talking about this with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. You've got to repent of your sins. And then point B, being born again involves being made new from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. You've got to be made new. 570 years before, earlier, the prophet Ezekiel had written these words. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and I'll give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you give you a tender, responsive heart. And here is this great teacher of the religious law who would have known this first by memory, and Jesus is telling him, Nicodemus. You gotta repent and you gotta have a heart transplant. I mean, that's what it means to come to Jesus. I repent of my sins. I lay open my life and say, God, I'm a sinner. Change me. Change me. God doesn't call us to, to, to follow him and live just a little bit better. He calls us to follow him, to follow Christ and surrender our whole life to him and say, God, take out my stubborn, stony heart and change me. That was a message for Nicodemus and it's a message for us all. And Nicodemus, you can imagine him just going, oh, my goodness. I mean, he'd come to Jesus because Jesus could do miracles that he could only explain because this guy knew about God better than he did. But now Jesus was taking a relationship with God to a level that he had never even considered. It's not about religious show. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you and I have surrendered to God and said, God, I need a new heart because we're all sinners. And being born again is only possible through God, not human effort. Nicodemus, you're a great teacher of the law, but you've got to understand this. This only happens you've got to be born again. He saved us. Paul wrote this in Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. And before you turn the page, some of you already beat me. Go back, please. I want us to read that verse together. Can we do that, please? Can we read that together? He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Not because of what we've done. See, this is why Jesus said, hey, this is like the wind. Nicodemus would have met Jesus, he met him at night, there would have been a wind blowing. And Nicodemus is going, hey, I don't understand this, this new heart. What are you talking about? I'm doing all the things I need to do. Nicodemus, it's not about performance. It's about giving your heart to God. And by the way, when you keep other people out, when you say you've done everything right and earned your way in and this is the way it needs to go, you're missing the whole point. Being changed by the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it came from and you don't know where it's going. The Holy Spirit is going to move in people's lives in ways you can't possibly imagine. And so you've told these people, I mean, when I read before about John the Baptist when he would preach, tax collectors, notorious sinners would come and they would repent. Prostitutes would come and they would repent. Roman soldiers who didn't have a clue about what was written in the Old Testament would be out there guarding things, but they would end up listening to John and they would repent. And he said... And so Jesus is illustrating to him all these people would have been people the Pharisees would have said have no chance to get into heaven and yet they were the people who were coming and the people who set themselves up as the guardians were the ones who wouldn't. How dare you? How dare you slam the door of heaven in people's faces? That's not yours to give. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. He moves in ways we can't even possibly imagine. Little over a year ago, on a Sunday morning, I had an interesting conversation with a fellow who came to a worship service here in Prattville. He was staying in Prattville at the hotel here, and he came and he came to worship simply because he wanted to go to worship service and there was one here. And so he plunks down the back. He had come and had a really rough interaction with his brother and they weren't seeing eye to eye, and he was going to go home and really frustrated with that. And that particular day he sat in, I was doing a lesson on forgiveness and restoration of relationships. And he came up afterward and said, this is remarkable. And I want you to explain this to me. He goes, if I had asked you to write out a lesson that would be exactly what I need to hear, I could not have asked you to write out anything more perfectly. But since I didn't know I was going to be here, and I just kind of wandered in here at the last minute, you couldn't have known that. So how is this possible? And I said, because the Holy Spirit spoke to you. God brought you here. And like the wind, he moves in ways I can't imagine. I don't know where the wind comes from, and I don't know where it goes. But even though I can't see it, the wind is powerful. And I can see the results. And I said, I would tell you, That because all this has happened, God is after you and he wants you to reconcile with your brother because this did not happen by chance. And we prayed together right there. Now my friends, Nicodemus was part of a group where things like that didn't happen. Because you didn't associate with sinners. You didn't leave room for God to work in people's hearts. You did things the way you're supposed to do. You get the right connections, go to the right schools, eat the right food, do the right stuff over and over again, and then you earn your way to heaven. And here was Jesus saying, no, that you, God wants everybody to come. God wants everybody to have a new heart. And if you think you got the market cornered, you don't even know what's going on. And that's the good news we proclaim That he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. It's not about human effort. It's about coming to Jesus and saying, I'm a sinner. God, I don't want to live this way. Please make me clean. Now you can flip your outline over. Thank you for your patience. Point three, Jesus also told Nicodemus that everyone must believe in him. Nicodemus, you got to be born again, and you got to believe in me. Two reasons why. Because Jesus is the only person able to rescue us. Jesus is the only person able to rescue us. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, You're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I mean, what, Nick? You never read Ezekiel 36? The Stony Heart passage? What, this is new? I mean, you don't understand these things? And if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things... And compare this to wind, compare it to being born naturally and then being reborn supernaturally, spiritually. Well, how can you possibly believe I tell you about heavenly things? No one's ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, and Jesus is speaking about himself here, has come down from heaven. Nicodemus, this is possible, and I know these things, and I'm able to do these things because I have come down from heaven. That's the reason Christians, this is the reason we put our faith in Christ. And people will often ask in our cultural, in our society today, where we say, hey, we don't want to ruffle any feathers. Why can't you just believe in whoever you want? I mean, why do I have to believe in Jesus? Why? I mean, isn't it true that all faiths lead to God? No. The reason Jesus had a superior understanding to Nicodemus, he was a teacher of the people of Israel, but Nicodemus was just a man. Jesus is the son of God, and he came down from heaven. And so that's why Jesus said statements like John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I came down from heaven. I'm God in the flesh. And when he rose again on Easter Sunday morning, he proved it. And that's why we trust him. Now, look, my wife and I used to work with a ministry called Young Life. And we would, as part of our ministry, we would take kids backpacking in Colorado We'd go to a base camp on one side of the Rocky Mountains, hike, up, hike for a week or eight days, whatever it was. And then we'd get picked up on the other side at, an, at the other end of the trail. And during that time, there's no access to telephones or anything else and television or anything else. We had awesome opportunities to be with kids and talk to them about our relationship with Christ. But there was one stipulation that the place needed to provide a guide for us. And the biggest question that I had for the guide when we got there was this. Have you been there before? And if the guide said, no, but I think I can find the way, we're not going with you. You know what I want out of a guide? I want a guide who's been there before and knows the way. Jesus came down from heaven and said, I am the way. How is this possible, Jesus? How can you make these claims? because the Son of Man came down from heaven. He's not just a teacher of the law, he's the way and the truth and the life, and that's me and that's why we need to believe in Jesus. So it's not intolerant, it's just truthful. We only have one savior and his name is Jesus. Point B, Jesus is the only person even willing to rescue us also. He's the only one able and he's the only one willing. John three 17. I've got a couple more verses from John 3 here. I kind of took them out of order so I could get a, just let you hear the emphasis here. God sent his son, Jesus speaking here, into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus one of the judgmental upper crust that God didn't think the way they thought, that Jesus came into the world to, precisely to save sinners. And that's why the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would ask Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with such scum? I mean, why does he hang around with trash?
1: And
0: Jesus would say, because sick people need a doctor, not those who are already well. And Jesus went on to say in John three fourteen and 15, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, again... Nicodemus was an expert in the Old Testament, and he knew the story very well from Numbers 21. I'm going to uh, retell the story for those of us who haven't been perusing Numbers lately. Okay? Why would he use that illustration? Because it fits perfectly. The children of Israel had been rescued from slavery by God. God had sent a deliverer named Moses. We went through this whole series last year in Exodus. But he led the children of Israel out of slavery, and they got to the edge of the promised land, and God wanted them to go in, but the people were fearful of the armies and the strong, tall people who lived there, and they said, we can't go in. And so God took them on a 40-year roundabout way through the wilderness until an entire generation died off so their children would go in who would be obedient to him. And while they were in that 40-year trek through the wilderness, they began to grumble and complain. They grumbled and complained every time they ran into hardship. And in Numbers 21, here's what happened. They came to Moses leading them. And they said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here, nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. When they would started their journey, they complained because there wasn't food to eat out in the wilderness. And God said, well, then I'll provide food from heaven. And manna was literally food from heaven that would appear on the ground every morning. And soon that wasn't good enough for them, and so they grumbled about the manna, and they wanted to go back to Egypt, even though they'd been slaves there. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among them, and many were bitten and died. And then the people came to Moses and cried out. That was a bad idea. Uh, They came to Moses and cried out, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake, attach it to a pole, Lift it up in front of the people, and all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze, attached it to a pole, and then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. And Jesus said, just as people, when they looked at the snake, when it was lifted up, could be healed, when the Son of Man is lifted up, and he was talking about when he would be lifted up on the cross, when people would look to him, they would be healed. Not from a snake bite, but from the poison of sin. The story applies because the people of Israel were ungrateful, rebellious, stubborn, weak, and lost. My friends, we are ungrateful people. We are stubborn people. We are rebellious people. We are weak and we are lost. We blame God for things over and over again. Even when he answers prayers for us over and over, over and over, we will say, God, please give me a job. Please give me a job. And then when we get in the job, we get in conflict with a fellow employee. We go, "Oh God, I hate this job. Why'd you give me this job? We pray for a spouse, and we say, oh, God, give me a woman. Oh, God, give me a man. We love the person. Oh, they're perfect for me. And then we get married, and then we get trouble. oh, God, why'd you give me her? I mean, you know how it goes. I mean, can you imagine what it's like to be God? You can't win for losing. And over and over again, the people of Israel would grumble and complain and rebel. And over and over again, God showed them mercy, and he told Moses, put a snake on a stick, and then they will see this when it's lifted up, and I'll heal them because I love them. I rescued them from slavery because they cried out to be rescued. I took them to the promised land because they wanted a promised land. And when they got to the promised land, they wouldn't go in because the people were too strong. Then I told them they are wandering in the wilderness, and they said, but we don't have anything to eat. I gave them food. I gave them water. And it doesn't matter what I give them, they will always grumble and complain because they won't trust me. And God could have wiped them all out, but he had mercy on them. Now read Romans 5, verses 7 and 8. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Christ died on the cross for you and me. As stubborn, as rebellious, as ungrateful, as weak, and as lost as we are, God loves us. And if you have come here today and you don't believe that God loves you or that you've sinned too much for him to forgive you, you're wrong. Jesus died on the cross for you and me because he loves us. And he rebuked people like Nicodemus. How dare you shut the door of heaven in people's faces because they don't wash their hands right or know enough scripture or do these things. I came to rescue everyone. Don't you limit what God can do. Never limit his love. And if I could tell you, you and I must not do that either. We must always remember this. We can't write off our neighbor or write off our cousin or our brother. Well, that guy's addicted to drugs. He'll never change. Instead, we need to pray for them as long as, they, as long as we have breath and pray for every opportunity to present the good news of Christ. And I think that's a challenge God would want for us to hear this morning. And that brings us to one last life application. I must decide whether or not i believe in Jesus. You too. I got to decide that. Here's John 3.16. Out of this conversation with Nicodemus. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what's right come to the light so they can see that they are doing what God wants. I mean, this is what propels us as a church. We want to proclaim this good news so more and more people can come into the light. My wife and I are going to be part of a missions trip going to Africa this summer. Got to spend some time on Skype with a guy who's heading up a a camp, an evangelistic camp. He's South African. The Lord touched his heart, changed his stony heart. He grew up in a culture that under apartheid practiced a lot of racism. And now he's doing a camp. He's an older gentleman. He's, he's white. But he's doing a camp where he's reaching out to 100 kids who are black kids across racial lines, something that 30, 40 years ago never would have happened. I asked him what his goals were, and he said, Well, we want to do a camp for 100 kids. I want to see 100 kids come to know Christ. He wants the whole world to know. God changed his stony heart, he's no longer racist. God can change your heart and mine too. It's not about religious show. It's not about going to church enough to make people think you're righteous. It's about coming to Christ and saying, give me a new heart. God, I'm a sinner. Change me. I'll follow you. I want you to hear what one of our members, Paul Frady, has to say about this. That's his testimony as well.
1: Hey, I'm Paul Frady. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, went to church on Sundays. I guess I was what you would call a Sunday morning Christian, because when church was over, uh, I lived like the devil. Uh, I had experienced some of the world's pleasures, and I liked the way it tasted. My goal in life was to be accepted. I did whatever it took to be accepted. I ran with the wrong crowds, I did what I wanted to. Uh, God was no part of my life whatsoever. When I was in my early 20s, I went through some really difficult times, and uh, I realized that I didn't want to go to hell. I believed in God, but uh, I wasn't living a Christian life. And uh, I went to church and uh, walked down the aisle and, and told the preacher, I said, I don't want to go to hell. What do I need to do to keep from going to hell? He told me that I need to ask Christ into my life, ask forgiveness for my sins, and change my ways. I didn't have a problem asking Christ into my life and asking for forgiveness for my sins, but I knew at that point I didn't want to change my ways. For the next several years I went through life, I thought I had my fire insurance policy in my back pocket. I worked hard at what I wanted, all I wanted was to be successful. I did whatever it took. It was either my way or the highway. I had everything a man could want. I had a motor home. I had a place at the lake. I had a farm. I could lay in my bed, look out my window, see all my cows, all my horses. I had a beautiful wife, four beautiful daughters. But I reached a point in my life where something was missing. I had everything I'd worked for all my life, but I still was not happy. At that point in my life, I realized what was missing was God. My life was not complete without Him. I told Brandy, I said, we have got to get in church. We visited several churches in the area. Uh, just did not feel like home, did not feel right. So we tried Centerpoint, and from the moment we walked in, it felt right. I had tears in my eyes in the worship service before John even started preaching. We got in the car to go home, and the first thing the kids said is, Dad, I want to come here every Sunday. The very next Sunday after service, I walked down, and I told John that I realized what had been missing in my life. I needed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you how much my life has changed since He has come into my life. My priorities have all changed. The material things I had in life mean absolutely nothing. Me and God have a one-on-one relationship. I talk to Him daily. I read His Word. Looking back on my life, the biggest misconception I had was being successful, having material things, being on top of the world. Now I realize that being successful is being the best son to God that I can be, being the best husband to my wife I can be, and being the best father of my children. I
0: People often ask me, our tagline for Center Point Fellowship is centering lives on Christ. They go, what do you mean by a centered life? We mean a changed life, a surrendered life. Not trying to impress anybody with my religiosity, not trying to earn my way to heaven, not trying to prove I'm better than you, but saying I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. Let's surrender our lives to Jesus. Let's go on the journey together. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for they fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what's right, they come to the light so others can see they're doing what God wants. Jesus said that. What's interesting is when Jesus was approached by Nicodemus, remember when he came to him? At night, in the dark. If you wonder whatever happened to him, I'll give you some homework. It's in the discussion questions. John 19 Verse 38, Nicodemus came into the light. You got to go look it up. Maybe God's calling somebody here today to come into the light. Maybe like Nicodemus, you realize something's missing. Maybe like Paul Frady, you say something's missing. Trying to do what's right, but it's not working. Give your heart to Jesus. We can't save ourselves He's the only one who can, and he's the only one willing to do it, and he's waiting. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like me. And God, I pray that you will allow us to proclaim that good news far and wide, everywhere we possibly can as Christians. But God, before we can proclaim the good news, Lord, we need you to change us from the inside out. Oh God, I surrender my heart to you. Oh God, I don't want to try to impress people. I don't want religious show. I want to be the real thing. God, I confess that I'm a sinner and I cannot find my way to heaven on my own. God, I can't even stop my bad habits with my own strength. I need you to change me and give me the power through your Holy Spirit to be the person you want me to be. I can't forgive like I should. I can't live like I should without your help. And so, God, I give you my life. Forgive me for my sins. Make me brand new. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one who died for me. If that's the desire of your heart, then just give God thanks. If you made that decision years ago, would you pray right now in a moment of silence for somebody else who desperately needs to hear that message? Somebody who's far away from God, their life is empty and filled with pain. Would you pray for them right now? Pray for them by name. It could be a neighbor. It could be a cousin. It could be somebody you love dearly who's far away from Christ. Would you pray for them by name and say, Oh God, I want them to be born again. Oh God, I thank you for Jesus. And God, please help us proclaim the good news of that Christ changes people and he gives eternal life. I thank you for hearing our prayers now. We pray them in the wonderful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.